The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Your Royal Highness, Meghan Markle, congratulations to you both. Thank you. How did you first meet? We were introduced actually by a mutual friend. We should protect her privacy. We protect her privacy, yeah. Not too much of it. I'm Camilla Tomini, Associate Editor of The Telegraph, and I was there when Harry and Meghan got married. But the friend who introduced you, was she trying to set you up? Yes, it was definitely yes. a setup. It was a blind it was date. A blind date and sure. There's always been this sense of the Prince Harry that his main aim in life was to get married and have children. In the States, you don't grow up with the same understanding of the royal family. And mm. so. And you went on jobs with him and you knew he would be a good dad because he was always so remarkably good with children, exactly in the vein of Princess Diana. Well done. Are you, all here? Are you working here all day? There was goodwill behind Harry in this because I think everyone thought, oh, at last. You know, he's basically got what he wanted. Forget the trappings of his royal life. But because so many people had witnessed him walk behind his mother's coffin that day in 1997... Right, you hear come the chief mourners, Prince William and Prince Harry. It was almost like the wedding. He sort of came of age in the eyes of the public. And he was such a universally popular figure. So happy for the So that's also why it's saddening, because... It's not as popular anymore. I suppose if I think back to Harry and Meghan's wedding, it was kind of the culmination of quite a few years' work in the sense that we had broken the story of their relationship. It was October 2016 when I managed to glean that Harry was going out with this woman called Meghan Markle, who was an American actress. He is the popular prince, known for his unstuffy, laid-back approach to his royal duties, She's the divorced TV actress, three years his senior. Today, she's a prince's fiancée. And then to see it evolve into this whirlwind romance, the engagement interview, and then it culminating in this amazing Windsor wedding, topped off with this carriage procession around town to adoring fans and the public really embracing them as a couple, it did seem as if the story went full circle. I did not have any understanding of just what it would be like. I was there in a broadcasting capacity for NBC. For them, okay? NBC's royal editor, Camilla Tomini. Hello, Camilla. Thank British you. historian Andrew That puts an enormous amount of pressure on because you know you're going to be basically commentating an event that you don't quite know what's going to happen at any given moment, live on television, before an audience of millions. Oh, and by the way, while you're doing that, you're also having to keep an eye on every single moment that passes. It's never just about the day. You know, there is a week-long build-up. As you're in Windsor, there's just a degree of excited chatter. See all the thousands and thousands of people. It's just unbelievable. It was really like a remarkable buzz, really, in Windsor. There was more intimacy about it because Windsor's a town, whereas London for William and Kate is a city. And I think probably from about the Tuesday or Wednesday before, some of the royal watchers who journalists like me are very familiar with, the kind of ardent, we'll come out and camp with a sleeping bag type of people, were already in place in the best position possible to catch that coveted glimpse of the bride and groom. We've got the best spot in Windsor, even the president have got the spot. Because I love Diana, she was so elegant and beautiful, I always looked up to her and I always considered Harry as my nephew. <laughs> so I said, we have to go see my nephew get married. And he's marrying an American. 
I've been to so many different ones that, again, as I get older, I probably get more excited. The atmosphere is building in Windsor, so things happen like the MS changed its name. The rebrand of Marks and Spencer's to Markle and Sparkle. There was just a real royal buzz about the place. You get goosebumps as soon as the bride appears because no one knows what she's going to be wearing and, you know, the umbrellas or the covers had gone up when she had got out of the hotel and got into the car and then you're getting a glimpse of what she's wearing when she's travelling to St George's Chapel. But, like any girl who likes fashion, this sense of seeing her in all of her finery is a bit of a kind of take-a-breath moment. Um, and you're living that as well as the audience and indeed the groom once they're inside the church. So the ceremony, I suppose, took people by surprise in the sense that it wasn't your conventional royal wedding. And I think the key moment was when Bishop Curry got up and gave his sermon. He had been invited over because he's the head of the Episcopalian Church in America. Megan's an Episcopalian. So there was this sense of having this kind of mashup between the Church of England, which Megan had been baptised into before the wedding, so she could be a member of the Church of England, and that was officiated by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, but also to have a member of her own American church there representing her beliefs, but also her ethnic background. And so I suppose Bishop Curry was the one unexpected and kind of the element that you couldn't quite predict what he was going to say. And when he gave this impassioned sermon about the power of love, seemingly invoking Frankie Goes to Hollywood, uh, mixed with sort of Jennifer Rush, it was quite a moment. And I remember as soon as the ceremony happens, from a commentary point of view, obviously you have to go silent because you just let the ceremony speak for itself. And I remember Bishop Curry's sermons going on and there's a few looks of just a bit of confusion or bewilderment from the rest of the royal family. And you're trying to pick up on some of that body language. And I remember the two co-hosts that I was with kind of saying, golly, this is going on for some time. And it, and it did go on. But it was kind of just a really refreshing take on a thoroughly modern wedding. It was really clear in the church. I mean, it's sad to reflect on it now because you get this wonderful sort of brotherliness between Prince William and Prince Harry, but equally this sense to which the couple were totally besotted with one another, and that really came across in the church. That chemistry between them provided goosebumps because it's really clear that they were deeply in love with each other. I think the Windsor element of it was really important. Actually, the intimacy of St George's Chapel compared with a bigger... Westminster Abbey stroke St Paul's Cathedral affair. It gives you the impression that you're closer to the action than perhaps you are. Certainly in Windsor Town Centre, I mean, when the carriage came past, I ran downstairs to see it because I wanted to see it with my own eyes. Um, like any punter that might have queued up overnight for a sight of the couple in the flesh, there was this sense that I was there and I wanted to say that I was actually there. And of course you couldn't resist giving them a wave and sort of willing them on their way because that was the emotion of the day. 
but it just looked so vibrant and colourful. The sun was shining. You couldn't have wished for better weather. But it was, I think, that degree to which the couple seemed really accessible because when they went through on the carriage procession, I mean, they were almost in touching distance from the crowds. That's how intimate the whole thing was, which really lent itself to the f idea that it was kind of the people's wedding, really. Oh, spectacular, is it? That's a great sight, the sound of those horses' hooves as they click past on the path. I mean, to have a kind of ringside seat in history is obviously something you never forget. Like, there are major events that I've covered in my life as a journalist, and the royal weddings rate really highly at the top of the list in terms of, I was there, I reported on it, I observed it all firsthand, and I'm lucky to have been that close to the action. You go back to the original footage of that day and you see William and Harry together and you remember how magical and remarkable it all was. And it makes you feel sad that they're no longer a part of the royal family. There was always this sense that they had this enormous potential to really do good from within. And now they're doing what they're doing from outside and they are trying to do good and frankly, good luck to them. <laughs> but it's not quite the same because they're not members of the royal family anymore. Funny enough, there was some footage of the royal wedding in a documentary and I did feel pretty sad because I had worked pretty closely over the years with Prince Harry, probably interviewed him and spoke to him directly on more occasions than any other member of the royal family. And now he's not on jobs with us. Um, and, um, you know, there has been that separation of powers and I suppose we're all familiar with how difficult family life can be and we know what it's like for people to fall out, for you to fall out with your parents, fall out with your siblings. There being rivalry between different elements of a family. Um, I've never been under any illusions though that the royal family is sort of less nuclear and more thermonuclear and there's a dysfunctional nature to it all. And in many ways, when it all falls apart for the royals, it endears them more to us as the public because it makes them seem more normal and human and more like us than them. But then you can't help but watch the fallout from this massive family dispute. And particularly having spent many, many years observing William and Harry in close quarters and now seeing that they are, to quote Prince Harry, on different paths. And as a human being, of course, that's saddening. Um, that's the main word that's ever used to describe royal emotions about Mexit. You know, they're just really sad. Eyewitness History is a Telegraph original podcast. It was produced by Giles Gear, Louisa Wells and Theodora Leludis. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow in your favourite podcast app and leave a review to help others find the show. And if you're not already a Telegraph subscriber, head to telegraph.co.uk slash audio for your first month free. <laughs>